what pops up a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start off with some talking And some moody clips of popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG Variety Podcast With the other Jason Welcome back Nerds RPG Variety Cast I'm your host Jason I have a pretty packed show for you today have a big what I've been playing section Including some board games Uh Big What I've Been Watching section, including a convoluted discussion of the movie Us from last year. And that is spoiler-free in the body of the show, so you don't have to worry about spoilers. But I do have a spoiler discussion of Us after the show at the very last segment. I tell you before I start that. So if you haven't seen Us, I would, you know, when I start talking about spoilers, you can turn the show off and, you won't, and you'll know you're not missing anything. And then I have a bunch of listener calls. Normally, I would have uh, arguing grimoire reading, but I'm very stuffed up this morning, and it's all I can do not to sneeze and sniffle while I'm recording this little segment. So I, I've tried a bunch of times. I just can't get through it without it sounding disgusting. So we're going to skip the Cody's reading corner this week, and I'll add it in next time. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Joy. You like movies about gladiators? Movies I watched. I rewatched 1986's From Beyond. Um, so let me talk about the people real quick, then I'll talk about the movie. So From Beyond is the brainchild of Stuart Gordon and Brian Yunza, Y-U-Z-N-A. Um, they, they both really are big fans of Lovecraft, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But it was also written by um, Dennis Paoli, who was another writer there. So not to take his credit away from him. Um, and the three of them worked on Reanimator and From Beyond. Now, Yunza and Gordon also were writers for the Disney film Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, interesting enough. But From Beyond and Reanimator are interesting because they're HP, they're loosely H.P. Lovecraft stories, and they star some of the same people, namely Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton, who's, you know, achieves Scream Queen status these days. Um, And she's still active in the community. I'm not sure how active Combs is, but I know Barbara Crampton still goes to, you know, horror conventions and is active on social media and stuff, unlike myself. But, and she used to pop up on Joe Bob Briggs's shows and you know he would call her she'd be a guest which is pretty cool um anyhow i I digress so these are loosely hp lovecraft stories right they they took the basis of the story and then they added a bunch of um you know flashy 80s stuff they added a bunch of creature effects which in the 80s of course is prosthetics and animatronic things you know it's no cgi it's all practical effects which i love um, and then they sexualized them quite a bit, which the isn't really in H.P. Lovecraft stories. But, you know, to sell movies in the 80s, you know, Bearskin definitely was a big seller. Um, but that point being, these are, I think, the way a lot of people that aren't into Call of Cthulhu were introduced to H.P. Lovecraft, right? So I think there are a lot of people whose first introduction to H.P. Lovecraft were... H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator, or H.P. Lovecraft's From Beyond, which is interesting because it gives a really twisted view of Lovecraft because both those movies, you know, have some sexual components in there which definitely aren't in the stories. Um, and, and, and they're really, really loosely based on the stories, let's be honest. Um, but they're both really fun movies. Like I say, tons of, of wonderful practical effects. If, if you like gore and practical effects and silliness, um, horror comedy, Definitely horror comedies. Um, these both, you know, fit the bill very well. So I, I do highly recommend 
if you like those kind of things from beyond and and reanimator and the reanimator series i mean it, you know it, it kind of goes downhill um, but it's just, they're they're pretty interesting you know for me i'm like a lot of people where you know my introduction to hp lovecraft was actually called cthulhu and you know and then i went on and read the stories and and i had had that aired i don't know i'm trying to think I don't know what the timeline was. I may have seen these movies before. I don't know. I don't know if I saw Call of Cthulhu first or these movies first. It would have been pretty close, probably. It would have been pretty close for me. Um, but I, I'm sure there are a ton of people that aren't into games that this was their inter- introduction to Lovecraft. So I'm interested how, <laughs> what they thought when they went back and read the stories. But yeah, From Beyond, uh, you, you know, definitely a, a, a classic of the horror comedy, body horror, you know, practical effects world of the 80s. 2018's The House with a Clock in Its Walls. Eli Roth turned out a, eh, unoffending and forgettable movie based on a book I remember fondly from back in the day. It was based on a 73 novel by John Belairs. And the movie actually, it has a decent cast. Jack Black, who I think catches you know, some short shrift for some things, but but I think he's better than a lot of people give him credit for. Clay, Cape Blanchett, Tom McLaughlin. Like I say, a good cast. Um, but the movie's, like I say, forgettable. Nothing overly wrong with it, but n- nothing great there either. Bloom House's Fantasy Island. So, this movie has horrible, horrible ratings. When you look, it's got like 8% Rotten Tomatoes or something crazy like that. And maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm not a discerning enough watcher, but yeah, I thought it was fine. It wasn't great, but again, it was, you know, fairly forgettable. Um, but definitely not the worst movie I've watched in a long time. And I'm not sure why it's getting 8%. It definitely doesn't deserve to get an 8%. Um, Michael Pena, Maggie Q, Michael Rorker, Kim Coates. Kim Coates, you know, is Tig on Sons of Anarchy. Um, all in all, it's, you know, it, it was a passable movie. It wasn't anything to write home about, but it's definitely not an 8%. <laughs> I, I thought it was an interesting adaptation of the old TV show. You, you know, if you're going to try to make it more into a kind of action horror thing. Um like all their stuff, it's, you know, PG-13, so it's more for the kids than, you know, for adults, but it's, it's fine. Let me clarify, when I say kids, I'm talking about, you you know, high school kids that can't get into R-rated movies. I don't mean, like, little kids. Anyhow, moving on. Uh, so, finally watched the Happy Time Murders, which is the, um, Melissa McCarthy and Muppet movie, R-rated, kind of, you know, potty humor kind of movie. It was okay. It, it wasn't as, as um, horrible as I thought it would be. And rewatched Fletch. You know, 80, um, what's Fletch? 85, I think. Uh, Chevy Chase movie based on a series of books by Gregory MacDonald. Um, I've read a fair number of the Fletch books, actually, and there's a sequel to Fletch. Of course, Fletch Lives. Um, I, I enjoyed Chevy Chase of that era and that comedy of that era and I've always kind of liked Fletch so it, it was fun to revisit that movie 1980's Neil Simon's Seems Like Old Times so this is a screwball comedy trying to recapture the feel the classic screwball comedies like the 40s with Chevy Chase Goldie Hawn Charles Grodin um, you know, you know it it's an old movie I remember seeing back in the day, and I do enjoy it. Um, it's not, it's what it is. I don't know how attractive this will be to a modern audience that that isn't used to these kind of movies. Um, it's actually based on Talk of Town, an old um, Cary Grant movie. But, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting enough. You know, Chevy Chase is, so, let me back up. Charles Grodin is a DA, and he's in line to become the Attorney General for California. Goldie Hawn is his wife, who's a def- who's a defense attorney, 
and she ends up defending lots of criminals and what she does, you know, she tries to get them jobs there at the house and she's a classic, you know, that classic stereotype, female stereotype that's trying to fix and save everybody. So, you know, there's like six dogs in the house and she has all these criminals that she's defended working for her so they have jobs and stuff like that. And, you know, big heart. And Chevy Chase is her ex-husband. He's a writer. Well, he gets, and, and innocently enough, he gets forced to rob a bank. And then he goes to her for help. And, of course, comedy ensues as he's in the house. As all kinds of things happening. They have big parties. The governor comes over for dinner. You know, different things happen. And, and it's fine. There, there are some pretty funny sequences in there. But, like I say, it is a screwball comedy. And it is harkening back to older times. And I think part of, um, you know, the appeals, if, you know, you're a Chevy Chase and Goldie Hawn fan. And Charles Gruden's pretty good in here, too. Um, Robert, Robert Glumet, you know, Benson is in this as well. So if if you like him, he has a pretty good role in this. Um, yeah, but that seems like old times. I'm not sure what else to say about it. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's more of a sentimental movie for me, but... I, like I say, I watch all kinds of things, so I'm not just an exploitation guy. TV-wise, I'm a big fan of Penny Dreadful, the four-season show that set Victorian era, um, Eva Green, Timothy Dalton, you know, where it mixes in, you know, vampires and Frankenstein's monster and Frankenstein himself and, um, you know, a bunch of different tropes from that, you know, those shows that in there, and it's, you know, I like that. It's so it's a little bit dark. It is gothic. It, it's kind of free with sexuality. If that kind of thing bugs you, but I but I do really like Penny Dreadful. Um, so I started watching. They they did a follow on series called Penny Dreadful City of Angels, and this is set in the late '30s in Los Angeles. And this, like a, a lot like um, the next show I'll talk about, Lovecraft Country, it hit and Watchmen to some degree, the TV show it hits a lot on racial tensions and the racial tensions this is highlighting are the well to use the term used in the show the chicanos they're in LA you know the mexican americans primarily born here in america that culture and the i i don't necessarily want to say the whites it is the whites but it's more so there there are nazis in there and the nazis are you know, manipulating things behind the scenes. So it's, but don't get me wrong. There are a lot of non-Nazi whites that have, you know, definitely any Hispanic or any Chicano feelings in the show. But so, it, but it's kind of playing that up. So again, it's that um, racial thing we're seeing a lot of shows recently. It it's interesting. So the premise of City Penny Dreadful City of Angels isn't drawing on like the Penny Dreadful they drew on all those gothic horror novels and those tropes, where in this one, what what you have is you have, I don't know if they're two angels or an angel and a demon, but you have um, the, like, like the Mexican angel of death, she's, and you've got this other lady who's just running around causing trouble. That's why I'm not sure she's, I don't think she's an angel of any kind. I think she's a demon. But anyway, but they're like manipulating things behind the scenes. And it's kind of an interesting premise. I question calling it Penny Dreadful because it's really got nothing to do with Penny Dreadful at all, aside from the actor that played Frankenstein's monster, the creature, Adam, I guess. That actor is in this show too. But aside from that, they don't really share anything other than the, the showrunner and the writer is the same guy through both in both series, right? So apparently, you know, it's kind of like Highlander where you watch Highlander, then you watch Highlander 2. You're like, what were they thinking? Well, it's the same author. That was always his vision. Well, apparently, I I don't know. I haven't read a whole lot, but this is the same guy, the same author and all. So apparently this was his vision, but I don't know why he'd even call it Penny Dreadful other than cashing on the other series because it's got nothing to do with it. Um, But it's kind of interesting. It's, I don't know. We'll see. I'm like three or four episodes in, so I'm going to finish that out. They only made one season. It had poor ratings, so it never finished. But it's interesting mix of racial tensions and Nazis and Supernatural in um, L.A. in the late 30s. So that's Penny Dreadful. But talking about shows that want to emphasize social things like racial tensions, 
let's talk about Lovecraft Country. Season 1 finale for Lovecraft Country is now out. And, yeah, it was pretty decent. They they did change it up from the book a little bit, which was nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they do a season 2 or if they leave it a standalone season. They could definitely move forward if they wanted to. But I think if they left as one season, it'd be a pretty powerful piece that they could just leave alone. I I think definitely it would work as a standalone season. Um, so I don't know. I I almost kind of hope they do leave it as one season, but we'll we'll see if pressure forces them to make another season. It's a mistake a lot of times they make, but they didn't pull any punches in there, which was nice. Um, too often. You know, they want to water things down, and I don't think they did here. So I I was glad they kind of stuck to their guns throughout the whole thing. So all in all, Lovecraft Country wasn't perfect. A couple missteps here or there. Um, Some of the CGI isn't great. But for the most part, I, I definitely think it's worth watching. I should say before I launch into the segment that I kind of stumble through some social issues here. And I don't do a good job expressing myself. And to be honest, you know, I come across, you know, kind of poorly in a couple areas, I think. But, and I thought about re-recording this and typing up some notes and ideas and doing a more scripted approach. But the problem with that is, it's a scripted approach. Where I think with the stream of consciousness rambling, you can get a more honest opinion from me. Or honest, you know, better feeling where I'm at. So I decided to leave this in there. And even though I really clumsily stomp around the issues, I I hope it's kind of clear, you know, where I fall. As, as I'm struggling to, to go through this and digest and um, make sense and process different things and decide what I can do, you know, and what, where, what my place is and help make the world a better place. So... I'll I'll ask for your indulgence and, you know, as I use silly metaphors and, you know, I, I haven't ventured into Quantum Leap at one point, which is, you know, horrible. So I'll admit readily that this is not ready for prime time, but, but it is stream of consciousness and not um, scripted, cold calculated. So, you know, and it is what it is, so... You're getting the honest me. What can I say? brings us to Us, maybe the favorite thing I've watched this past week. So Us, 2019 movie, but, you know, just spelled U.S., um, a little double meaning there by Jordan Peele. Great film, great acting in there, um, highly recommended. I, I don't want to spoil it, so I did a spoiler section at the very end of the podcast. So if you've seen Us, you know, stay after the, stay to the very end of the podcast, and I talk about it some. If you haven't seen it, I'd, and you don't mind a horror film, I'd recommend watching the movie before listening to my spoiler section. Because C- I think it's better if you don't know what's happening there. But what I want to talk about in regards to Us is I think it was very powerful, and it hits racial themes as well. Not it, it's, it's not the main purpose of it, though, like Get Out was. But it's, um, I, I think it's a really good movie. And, and one thing that really hit me is, um, aside from having the best flare gun scene ever in a movie, is that, you know, I'd rather watch two hours of a horror movie. And and, and like I said, Us, I, I found the first hour and a half really great. The last half hour dropped a little bit for me. It did not ruin the movie for me at all. Um, and I talk about that in spoilers. But, you, you know, I'd, I think more and more, these TV shows just drag it out. Eight hours, ten hours trying to get to the point. And I think I'd rather watch two hours of a, a real horror movie or a real drama movie, right? I think you can get a lot of power and drama packed into two hours. 
and, and I think you can really hit the notes you need to hit in that two hours. So I would rather watch a two-hour movie and spend eight hours reading a book, right? Lovecraft Country takes, what, like eight hours to read? Something like that's 400 pages. So, you know, do you watch eight or ten hours of a TV show? Or do you watch a two-hour, a really good two-hour movie and then read a really good book, right? And I'm getting to the point now, I think I'd rather just watch the movies and read the books and skip these long TV shows that are drug out, they're, they're padded with things that I don't overly care about, you know, for running time and length. The Marvel shows on Netflix really suffered from this, where they tried to pad them out and make them last longer. Um, when If those Marvel shows were condensed to like eight episode seasons, I think that would have been a lot better. Um, and, and, and I think part of that, especially with a horror show, you know, I don't think you can do horror in a long form TV as well as you can in a two hour movie. Cause in two hour movie, I think you're, there's a lot more real jeopardy. I think with a two hour movie, the characters, you, you feel a lot, the characters are in a lot more jeopardy than you do in a long form TV show. And yeah, I know there are TV shows where they kill characters and, and all that fine, but realistically your main cast that are cast for a TV show are probably going to last most of it. We're in a horror movie, you know, they, they're probably going to die at some point, right? So I, I think in the horror movie, I've just, I, I can't think of any TV show that's giving me scares like a horror, like horror movies, like movies have, like two horror movies have. So I really think the horror movie does, or the movie does the horror aspect better than a TV show. Um, and yeah, I think I'd, I, I miss reading. I'd, I think I'd rather, instead of watching these long TV series, you know, serial TV shows. I think I'd rather be reading books and just watching the occasional good movie. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I've been watching a lot of movies lately, as you can tell from this episode. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, th- I think I-, I do highly recommend Us. I think it hits some of the same kind of things like Lovecraft Country hits. It's not as focused um, on some of those things. I think Annie Bellum is. I haven't seen Annie Bellum yet. That just came out. Uh, right, was it, was that last year's or this year's movie? I think Annie Bellum's this year. I haven't watched it yet. I need to watch that. But that, I, I think a, a, a modern day lady is transported back to, you know, like a slavery plantation, 19th century, I, th- I want to say. Um, so I want to watch that. And I think that's going to be a little more in the news, of course. But I think that'll give that, you, you know, more raw feeling that probably, you know, I didn't get out of Lovecraft Country. And, and I'll fully admit, I'm a white male, right? So white privilege is a thing. There's no question about that. So there's no doubt that I don't connect. Maybe I connected more with us because of some of the themes in us than I did with Lovecraft Country because love, I'm not the target audience for Lovecraft Country. I kind of am because it's like, hey, look what you've done or, you know, look what's happening and look what you're not, you haven't experienced. But at the same time, I I can only, you know, feel that so much, right? And, and I'm not putting that show down and I'm not, saying anything about it. I, I think Lovecraft Country is great. I just, I don't know. And, and like I say, part of that comes from where I come from, my, my life experiences. There's no question about it. As much as I want to sympathize with somebody, you know, I, I can only be in their shoes to X degree, right? I mean, that's where Quantum Leap was so so good, that idea that it made him view things through people's eyes. And yes, I know it's a TV show. Yes, it's not, I, I'm I'm stretching here and I'm probably failing in, in that analogy, right? I'm not saying Quantum Leap was the, the social, you, you know, revolution that, that that we needed to be and this Quantum Leap fix, you know, whatever. I, I went off tangent there. That was probably a bad way to go. But point is, I'm never going to really know what it'd be like to be an African-American, right? Hispanic American. It's, it's not going to happen. I, I can sympathize with the plight. I can try to be more aware of how I address things. I can be more aware of what I say, what I do, how I interact with people. I can try to teach other people that, and I can try to, you know, interact and try to change society for the better. There's, you know, I can definitely do all those things, but there's a limit to how much of that experience I can have. So I think that's probably, and, and us hits some more themes that I can associate with. So that may be why I'm more drawn to it than Lovecraft Country. But I do think part of it is that long-form TV shows just don't do it for me as well as a concentrated movie. I think that two hours concentration in that movie, I think, is more powerful for me. 
and, and not just on these topics, I think across the board, right? And But books are different, obviously, and and I do enjoy books. So I think I'm going to kind of maybe cut back some on the series and concentrate more on, on good movies and Mind you, my my definition of good movies and yours no doubt differ, but um, you know, reading books. So, yeah, and I, I think that's all I had to say on this. So I will move on to the next segment. Monster of the week. So I really enjoyed our first session. I'm playing Ralph, who's kind of a Kolchak kind of type, really believes in conspiracy theories, really believes in alien conspiracies. It was a pretty fun game. We're investigating the death of a jock, a frat guy on a college campus, and um, he got thrown out a window, and there was evidence of frost around him, which is kind of odd. And during the investigation, we found out that there have been other deaths, kind of similar deaths, 40 years before there were a few deaths. And then at the very end of the session, there was another death that was kind of the same thing. So we're investigating. It's pretty interesting. Um, but instead of me telling you impressions of the game, I'm going to let fellow player Carl Rodriguez talk about it. Take it away, Carl. Hey, Jason. I want to apologize to all your listeners for all the sniffling that I do and my messages I will try to refrain from doing that. I did want to give a shout out today because it's fresh in my mind to Mark Pringle and the rest of the guys, including yourself, for the Monsters of the Week game this morning, October 17th. I've never played Powered by the Apocalypse, and it was very enjoyable. I've heard good and bad things about the game, but for me it was a positive experience, and I want to do it again. I really enjoyed getting into character and... uh, Having to, having not a lot of rolling, which I think was a great uh, way of running things for Mark. It's an investigative game. We're trying to track down a monster. We figured out uh, what it is, so hopefully the next time we'll get to get it. Sword and Scoundrel didn't happen, but we did do a session zero for the um, Hot Circle, which is a burning wheel derivative superhero game. Hot Circle is not normally a superhero game. This is a a hack of Hot, of hot Circle. but um, So Arlen Walker's running this, and we just talked about the, the game. This is going to be a play-by-post game, by the way. And we just talked about characters. And I'm going to make a character based on the G.I. Robot. If you don't know him, it's a DC Comics character. First appeared in the 60s. I remember his incarnation in the 80s when he was part of the Creature Commandos in DC's Weird War Tales. He teamed up with, like, Frankenstein's monster and a vampire and a werewolf. But the GI robot, effectively, for those that aren't familiar with comics, and and I know they've done other things with him lately. I don't know any of the new versions of GI robot. I just know him from the 80s. Um, But if you think about it, in popular culture, things like um, Johnny Five from Short Circuit or things like Chappie, Neil Blomkamp film, um, that kind of thing. So it's a, a robot that's made, and actually this character's going to be closer to Chappie, where it's going to be a a robot that was designed for law enforcement. It'll be humanoid, but, um, you know, for whatever reason, it was discarded. It was like a prototype, and now it's out fighting crime. Somebody found it, gave it a new paint job, and, you know, it's out there. And and how much of its history it knows and all we're gonna we'll, we'll work that out we'll muddle through that there'll be some secrets in its past that the robot doesn't know no doubt um, but instead of being like like Johnny Five um, we're a real metallic you know like the Terminator with the skin cut off or burn off it'll be more like the Terminator before that now it's not going to be flesh covered but it'll be like a plastic covered. So the idea being, if you had a police robot, you wouldn't want it where it's, you you know, hard metal where it can't like pick a baby up or something like that. So it'll have like a, like a rubberized coating on it, you you know, so it could, you know, pick children up or pick up, you know, take, get cats out of trees or whatever without hurting them. Um, And of course, if that rubberized coating 
or yeah, I'm saying rubber, but you know, if that coating comes off, then it would be more like the Terminator, that metallic skeleton underneath. So I haven't nailed down all, and what we'll do is it'll have some prime directives. It, it'll be, you know, for, for the conceit of the game, you, you know, it'll be, um, Senian, I guess, so, you know, it would be fully aware, but it, it'll still be a robot and it'll still have prime directives, kind of like RoboCop, where the prime directives pop up, you know, and, um, so, you know, it would be kind of like that kind of thing, so we'll see, to, to allow it to, it won't be quite Isaac Asimov where it can't hurt people, but it, you know, it'll, director would be trying not to kill anybody, of course, but, you, you know, if, somebody perceives as being innocence being attacked, it could use violence against the person attack or the thing attacking that person. So we'll see how that goes. It'll be interesting. Um, I'll report more once that post get, or once that play-by-post game gets running. Call of Cthulhu Invictus. If you haven't been following this game in the play reports that I've talked about and Colin's talked about on Spike Pit RPG podcast and, and whatnot, then you're going to be lost. But effectively... We are, our group is following up 30 years after this big battle in the Teutonberg Forest where the Germanic tribes wiped out a couple of legions. And we're back at the area of the battle now, and we've aligned with a, a sea village that has deep one ties, but there are allies against these Germanic forces. And we, we found evidence there's a whole group like a Germanic army there and they're digging up Roman corpses and reanimating them. Or at least that's what we believe is happening. And we saw off to the side, kind of separated from the rest, the main body, they had some of our allied villagers that were using as slave labor to dig up bodies. So we were able to take the guards out and free those villagers, and that's where the session ended. So hopefully they didn't hear the, those sounds of battle when we freed the villagers. And we're going to be able to you know, do something else next time, maybe find where their command group is or find out the necromancer raising the dead and, and take them out and hopefully defuse situation. Um, but we will find out next session. So that was Call Cthulhu Invictus. Board games played recently, Clank. If you're not familiar with Clank, it's a dungeon crawl theme and it's effectively a deck building game where you're you're trying to optimize your deck. It, and And from what I've seen in Clank, you don't have as many cards in there that let you discard cards you don't want. A lot of games have cards where you can really optimize your deck. And this one, you're just kind of buying cards to improve your deck, but you're not discarding as many. Um, at least not in the base version that we're playing. But it's pretty good. It's a, like I say, it's a dungeon crawler, and then it's got, you're trying to get, get down deep, as deep as you can in the dungeon, get as much treasure, and get back out before a dragon fully awakes, and and it's called Clank because if you make, there are cards where you make noise, you know, Clank. And if and the more noise made, the more Clank, you know, is done, then the greater the chance of that dragon awakening. So it was, it was a fun game. Enjoyed it. Back to the Future, the board game. So this just came out, I don't know, a few months ago. I think it's a tar- was a Target exclusive, but you can buy it off Amazon as well, I believe. Um, it's a cooperative board game set in 55. You take the role of Marty, Doc Brown, Jennifer, or um, the dog, Einstein, and you have to set everything right, you know, get everything in sequence and right to, um, you know, to go back to the future. So you have to get George and Lorraine in love, keep them in love without Biff screwing it up, and you have to get the DeLorean outfitted and in place to, you know, be lined up with the clock tower when lightning hits. Um, spoilers for the movie Back to the Future, I guess. <laughs> it um, was pretty good, actually. We'll end up playing again. It was pretty enjoyable. It, it definitely evokes the movie pretty well, and it's not easy. We actually lost, to be honest. There are three of us playing, my wife, my son, and I, and um, it, it's one of those games where you really have to make the most of every move. You really have to... Um, be on the ball and you can't waste any turns you have to be trying to you know every turn maximize your moves and you you know get get your power-ups and and advance things and and if if you if you don't make the most use of every turn 
you end up losing. It's, so it's really deep resource management and a you know a strategy type game. So pr pretty good. Not strategies like big war time, but strategies and plan your move out so it's the optimal move. But it was pretty good. We enjoyed it. Like I said, we'll definitely play that again. The other game we played was Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, which is like one of my favorite Halloween games, Betrayal at the House on the Hill, but it's set in a D&D &D world. Um, you, most of you are probably familiar with the Baldur's Gate video games. If not, I believe there's a 5e adventure that works around Baldur's Gate. But um, in this one, you'll, you have a variety of different classes you can play. But basically, it's a reskinned version of the Betrayal on the House on the Hill. Um, just a few, tro you know, the tiles are all redone, and you're you're in um, Baldur's Gate. You're either on out on the streets in the buildings or in the catacombs below the city. Um, and, and like I say, you have the different different adventuring classes, and there's male and female options for for most of them. And they each have one adventurer ability they have in addition to their regular stats, like in the other game. And and it was fine. Um, the haunt was so. Most of the haunts, so in Betrayal House of the Hill, for those who aren't familiar with it, everybody is kind of working together initially, and then sometime during the game, the haunt starts. And when that happens, one of the characters, usually one of the characters, one of the players turns into a traitor, and there are 50 different scenarios that play out, and it could be any of those 50. And the... um they're all very different, and they have two different books. So the trader takes one book off and goes to a different room, and everybody else reads from another book, and they have different victory conditions, and now they're working against each other, which is a pretty neat dynamic. And they've done that here with Baldur's Gate as well. And it has 50 different scenarios, but the one we played, which was... I don't know if I want to say which one it was, because I don't necessarily want to ruin it, but it was pretty um, unbalanced, let's say. The trader probably had too much information... And maybe it was a little bit overpowered. Um, but, I don't know, maybe not. I mean, I guess if we had... I don't know. It it it, it maybe could have gone differently, but the trader ended up winning. Um, but it was fine. Um, my wife was fine with it, which she doesn't play D&D &D or anything, but I think she's familiar enough with the tropes from other games that we've played. And, of course, my son is you know, played D&D. He's actually played 5e, unlike myself. So he's, you know, familiar with all the different things. So anyhow, it was okay. I think if I'm going to play a game like that, personally, I'd rather do Betrayal on the House on the Hill just because it's the classic original. But I, I would play Baldur's Gate again. I do wonder about the balance, though. I definitely am interested to see a few more of the scenarios, a few more of the haunts, and see how they feel, if they feel more balanced than this one did. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator screaming is coming from inside the house. What the hell, Jason? Oh, there's me settling down to listen to a nice afterplay of your Merp game. What do I hear? Uh, a one-hour diatribe about, you know, ki kicking me in the nuts, like, every, every few minutes for my quite valid views on how you cannot do an investigation in fantasy. I'm realising that's quite an unpopular view now. Um... <laughs> Well, just you wait. I have an answer coming. Well, it's not from me. It's from a certain Mr. Holmes. No, not that Holmes. The other Holmes. You know the one I'm talking about. Hmm. Indubitably, you do. Yo, Jason, dude. Drunk minion for life, man. <laughs> that was fucking awesome. <laughs> 
That was such a great episode you two did on Merp. Minion sold me on it super hard, which is amazing because I'm already sold on Merp. I love Merp, and he made me love it even more, man. Holy crap. That was awesome, dude. I mean, is Merp the greatest system of all time? Yeah, I think it might be. I really think it might be. After listening to that, I absolutely think it might be, man. Great stuff. Hope you have a good one, man. Peace out. That was Andy Goodman of Expedition Grizzly Peaks and Joe Richter of Hindsightless and Wheeler Woe. And they're talking about a after-game conversation I had with Minion from Confessions of the Wee Timmer Spooshy about a Middle-Earth role-playing game, Merp game, that we recently played. And many may have been into the cups a little bit, which is understandable because it was an evening and it was night off, and hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. So, Andy, I look forward to hearing more. Um, Andy and I actually also talked about collaborating on a future project, which I look forward to, and hopefully you'll hear more about that. Maybe you'll hear we'll hear more from this Holmes fella that he's talking about. That would be interesting. I don't think he's talking about Ian Holmes, who unfortunately passed earlier this year. Um, Of course, you know Ian Holmes is Napoleon in... Ouch. Tiger? Quit that. You know, Ian Holmes as... Was was I saying? Oh, yeah. Napoleon in Time Bandits. He was the android. I forget the name of the android now. In the first Alien movie. Um, he, He was also in those Lord of the Rings films that aren't quite as good as Rankin-Bass cartoons. Um, But, yeah, so I look forward to seeing what Mr. Goodman has up his sleeve. And, of course, Joe Richter, all you guys know him, and his opinion is always valid and welcome. So, the next call is from John Allen Large of the Red Dice Diaries RPG Podcast, and he's calling about, I was hoping this would would go away, but, you know, if you send me a call, I'm going to play it. This goes back to that remix episode that Colin Green over the Spike Pit RPG podcast did, and John has some thoughts, so I'll just play those. I'm not going to comment on them. Like I say, I, I, I understand why it bothered some people, and, and I've kind of said my piece on the whole remix thing, but I do believe that no malice was meant by anybody involved there. So anyhow, I'll, I'll let John say his piece, so take it away. Hey there, Jason. It's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. Just listened to your response to the Spike Pits Remix episode, and I thought you made very sensible points in your episode. No problems with that whatsoever. I suppose my way of looking at it would be: is like, is there really? Are we really so desperate for for controversy and things to get offended about that? we're going to get that annoyed or well and i'm not saying you are but as annoyed as some people are getting about a slightly humorous tongue-in-cheek sort of parody episode from a podcaster now i suppose it's easy for me to say that because it's not like any of my voicemails were in the episode but i like to think if they had been i still wouldn't have been that bothered i quite enjoyed the remix episode To be honest, it didn't occur to me that people would get offended by it when I was listening to it. I suppose I just assumed people would take it in the sort of tongue-in-cheek, humorous sort of style that it seemed obviously designed to portray, and that certainly seems to be what you've done, so props to you for that. But like I say, to me, it just seems like the the whole sort of, I'm going to say, faux outrage in inverted commas, about this by some parties it's just the like textbook definition of a manufactured controversy and like i say i find it a bit disheartening that we and i say we in the sort of general sense are so desperate for sort of controversy and things to get annoyed about that if we can't find anything that's actually worth getting bothered about we tend to manufacture it and i think that's a rather sad state of affairs And I think even if you ignore the fact that it's obviously intended to be sort of like a humorous parody, which it obviously is, compared to like some of the interactions on the internet at large, and let's face it, we've all used the internet to some degree because podcasters, 
it doesn't even like register on that scale. If you were talking about sort of like offense levels, it's not even the diet coke of offense. It's more like the tab clear caffeine free version of something to cause offense. But like I say, it was obviously intended as a humorous parody, one which I quite enjoy. And I hope, you know, if Colin does another sort of remix episode like that, maybe some of my voicemails will even make it into it. Although I've been told when I sing, I sound a bit like the Go Compare Man, which if that doesn't mean anything to you, look it up online and you'll see what I mean. But as I say, I thought your response episode was well-reasoned and extremely diplomatic. So again, props to you, mate, to be fair. I think I'd have probably been a bit more dismissive about the offence in inverted commas, but that's just my way. Like like you say, different people with different experiences. That is so, so true. Anyway, dude, I've already left this on my fourth message to you, so I'm going to cut it short to say, take care. I hope you're keeping yourself well, and I look forward to listening to your future episodes. Catch you later. Hey there, Jason. It's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. Just finished listening to your Merb talk through and your sort of after action report with Menion. Very much enjoyed it. Although I remember seeing Merb on the show sort of way back when in my local gaming store, it's never one I've actually had an opportunity to play or run. Although I do enjoy Tolkien, although I'm not really like a big hardcore fan. I've never been able to get through the the Selma Rillian, to be honest, although I own a few books like Tolkien Mysteries and stuff like that, but I really enjoyed you guys talking about it, and hopefully there'll be some more of that in future episodes. Anyway, take care, dude, and I'll catch you soon. Hey, John, thank you for the kind words. I'm pretty sure that Rob, also known as Minion, and I'll probably debrief after each episode, so I'm sure you'll hear more of us. And that's about it for today. I want to thank all the callers. I want to thank... Ray Otis, who provides the art for this podcast. TJ Drennan, who provides the theme music. And I want to thank you, the listener, because otherwise I would still put it out, but nobody would listen to it. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can reach out to me on the Anchor app. You can send me an email at nerdsrpgvritycast at gmail.com. You can also send an audio file there. You can find me on Discords. There are probably other ways to find me too, but we won't talk about them right now. Anyhow, even though T.J. Drennan's given me a wonderful ending tune, Carl Rodriguez has provided some more ending notes, so we're going to play those out instead. These actually follow on to the ones he did for my last episode where I responded, again, that Remix episode. In that one, Carl talks about penguin, penguins, and he also does a quantum ogre sound, and he wanted to expand on those two thoughts. So take it away, Carl. One more thing about penguins, their portrayal in Madagascar was very upsetting. My penguins are not New York gangsters. Also, my quantum ogre guttural was my impersonation or attempted impersonation to do the accent of Cookie Monster. I hope no Muppets are offended. Okay, now we're on to spoilers for 2019's Us, or U.S., by Jordan Peele. If you don't want to hear spoil, if you haven't seen the movie, I recommend you just turn this off. If you, you know, want to hear spoilers for it, then you can go ahead and listen, but there's nothing else after this. There's no reason to listen, unless you, really, unless you've seen the movie, Us. Um, or, as you know now, U.S., because Us stands for United States as much as, as Us is in doppelgangers, right? So, I I think the first hour and a half of this movie is great. I think it loses a little bit when it tries to explain it with the experiment and the tethered and all that. I, I think I would have rather the whole thing just been shadows, to be honest. Um, but I still think it's really effective. I, I really enjoyed the movie. And I like I say, I think that two hours of movie does just as good as, you know, eight or ten hours of TV does. In a lot of cases, um, I think Jordan Peele really nailed it. I am a huge fan of his work, always have been, and look forward to you know projects he does in the future. So let's talk a little bit about this idea. So the idea is this revolution, this, this enslaved people revolting, and, but it's a little deeper. It's not just racial in this case; it's across the board. So it, so it's just as much 
um, social and, and, you know, socioeconomic issues as it is race issues in this movie, right? Um, and, and Peel talks about that, you know, in, in some of these, you know. he what, One of the quotes when he was talking about this movie was um, when he decided to write this movie, he was stricken with the fact that we are all in a time where we fear the other, whether it's a mysterious invader that we think is going to come kill us or take our jobs or the faction we don't live near that voted a different way from us. Sound familiar? The other, the other people on the Internet? We're all, we're all, wow, that's weird. We are all, we are pointing the finger. And I want to suggest that when making a monster, we really need to look at our face. Maybe the evil is us. Maybe they screwed up that quote here on this website I'm looking at. But regardless, the idea is that, you know, we as Americans are the problem. Not white Americans, not black Americans, not Latino Americans, but potentially all Americans are part of this problem, right? We rely on technology. We see the technology in the movie and, you know, where the technology kind of turns on them, where they have Ophelia, which is supposed to be, um, shoot, whatever the, you know, the voice assistant like Apple and Amazon have. And, you know, when they say Ophelia, call the police, and that plays Fuck the Police by NWA. Um, a pretty nice touch there. But, yeah, I, I think it, for the most part, it works really good, right? Um I, it's the whole idea of the of this underclass and 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 overclass and masters and controllers, which obviously has some racial things involved there. But like I say, it's definitely a lot more social economic. I think us does a lot of things right. I I think it hits the horror element pretty good. It's not the scariest movie in the world, but it's definitely scarier than pretty much any TV show, right? It definitely does a better job at that. I think there's I think part of that. Well, I talk. I already talked about this. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to say I, I really liked it. I like what they do with doppelgangers. I think the stretch at the end, you know, like I said, last half hour, they try to explain it. I understand why I did that. And and that that's part of science fiction that and horror that falls apart a lot of times for me, especially science fiction, is they try to explain it at the end. And you're like, uh, that's silly. <laughs> so you're on board the whole movie till the very end, right? And and I didn't totally fall off the train here. I I was still on board with this entire movie, but I I think I would have preferred them just be doppelgangers and just whatever reason they just woke at one point and you know then came up with this. But but I think it was it's a wonderful you know for what's this his second big movie right? Yeah, I I think Peel knocked out of the park. I I know not as many people like this as as um get out and which get out's another great movie get out's a little more on the news i think i think and i think the fact that the bad guys in this movie aren't just white people probably hurt this a little bit and i think because the metaphors in this are a little more stretched and 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 there's a little more complex than maybe that that hurt it as well i don't know um and it's not as comedic obviously as is get out so this is much more of a, a you know straight up horror movie um, horror slash sci-fi, you, you know, metaphor movie, which which I really like. So yeah, us, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, hopefully you haven't listened to all this, but if you have and you haven't seen it, I, I'd reckon if you don't mind horror movies, I'd check it out. I think it's pretty powerful. And if you have seen it, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. So, anyhow, I will talk to you guys next time. Take care.